Hello, podcast listeners. This is Charles Chandler. We're at episode number 51 this week in our podcast series. In this one, I visit a historical museum, and it's actually a rerun of a episode that I did back in March of 2016. And here it is. Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today we're going to be continuing our series of episodes on nonprofit organizations. The basic question for today's episode is what does it take to manage a historical museum? We'll be visiting one in Fredericksburg, Texas called the Pioneer Museum. I'm joined now by Gerald Hoover, who's the executive director of the Pioneer Museum in Fredericksburg, Texas. Thanks for joining us this morning, Gerald. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. How would you uh, describe uh, the museum to someone who's not familiar with it? Uh, Certainly you're in Fredericksburg, which is, uh, let's say, an hour drive from San Antonio west, a little bit Mm -hmm. further from Austin. As we approach the museum and and see it, I think it it, it uh, occupies a, a full city block there, just a little bit west of downtown. How would you how would you describe the museum to someone who's not familiar with it? I have a really easy job doing that because one of the main uh, pieces of awareness that people have about Fredericksburg, Texas, is that it is historically important to the settlement of Texas by people who came directly from Europe rather than from other parts of the United States. Germans came directly from Germany in the mid-19th century when Texas was still a republic, and uh, there was a move on in Germany uh, by people who were looking for a better life, their own land, self-determination, freedom, etc. So Fredericksburg began as a German colony in Texas uh, just a few months uh, after Texas became a state. 1845, was that right? The state, 1845, the founding of Fredericksburg, May 8, 1846. So to say we are the repository for the story of the founding of Fredericksburg is an easy case to make because people come to Fredericksburg for uh, many reasons, but one of them is the cultural heritage that they find the uniqueness and the quaintness and still the leftover German flavor of architecture, uh, some of the products we serve, certainly the values and traditions we uphold as a, as a community. So, yep. yeah, we're right here on Main Street, and everybody can see us. We've got several buildings here, um, and it's a self-guided tour, so it's an easy sell to make. Yeah, I think the first thing you notice about Fredericksburg is uh, lots of old buildings, uh, stone architecture mm-hmm. with, with wood. Uh, metal roofs mm-hmm. oftentimes. Uh, so mm-hmm. the, the architecture of the current buildings in Fredericksburg uh, is not, in some ways, too much different from what the settlers originally uh, were doing. I think architectural controls, right. in, in a way, um, uh, facilitate that. And certainly the downtown Main Street uh, has a, a very old historical uh, character to it. Right, which is where we are. Where did the original idea or concept for the museum come from? Interesting story. When you've come to Fredericksburg on the town square, you'll see a coffee mill-shaped building called the Vereinskirche, which means Society Church. And it was at one time right in the middle of the highway that runs in front of the courthouse there, which is, of course, 290. 
And that was the first public building constructed in Fredericksburg when the Germans got here. And of course, they were isolated from most of civilization. They brought with them the desire to build a community center, a church, and a school. Um, and so this Vereinskirche, which was based on some buildings that they had seen in Germany, the shape, was built, and it lasted for 50 years. So in 1935, actually it was a little bit before 1935, it was one of the President Roosevelt's WPA projects that they rebuilt a, a model of the VK, or not really a model, it's a, um, a built after the fashion of the old coffee mill building that was torn down to be the um, Pioneer Museum and the Pioneer Memorial uh, building. And that was in 1935 that they dedicated it. And that was how the Historical Society, which now owns the Pioneer Museum, began. So that building, which is, I think, a, a block or so away from the actual, from your main campus, is still part of what you manage, is it not? Right. We still, we still managed uh, that site. So we have two sites uh, for our museum exhibits. So when did the museum actually open? The museum down here opened in 1955, uh, centered around one of the buildings that is here that was built here in 1847 to 1850. It's a person's home. His name was Henry Kamla, and uh, it is still here and is the anchor of the museum complex that we have here on Main Street. So uh, the, the Historical Society bought it in 1954-ish, uh, did some remodeling to make it uh, suitable for a public facility of the museum, and opened it in 1955. Mm-hmm. And many of the other buildings that are on the site uh, came from other locations, is that right? Right, that's correct. We have one other building that was built here, it's a house, and everything else was moved in from somewhere else to our campus. How did they come to be part of your 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 charge as far as um, uh, management goes? Before my time, but uh, the story that I've heard is that the Historical Society set out to find uh, representative structures of the history. Uh, for example, the Sunday House, a log cabin, a blacksmith shop, um, a school out in the county and began to the search for finding these buildings that were no longer being used for their original purpose and funded the movement of them here on our campus. So we have all of those things now, as I say, that are representative of early architectural and uh, cultural history of the area. And part of it, I guess, was to preserve those buildings. They, they would eventually have been deteriorating or torn down or something, uh, whereas exactly now, now they're on your campus and they'll preserved and maintained uh, for the for the future. That's right. And there were many others in the county just like them, but yeah, we captured some that were in danger of, um, of going away. Uh, and yes, now they're on our campus and they will be permanent, permanently preserved. So that was the original idea, uh, partly preservation. What, what are you going for now in terms of the visitor experience? Well, Fredericksburg has changed quite a bit, as one might expect, over the last 30 to 40 years. In fact, for the first 150 years or so, well, I'm going to say the 130 years of Fredericksburg, it was still a very, uh, well, pretty isolated community. And uh, German was still the language of commerce on Main Street. A lot of people spoke German in their homes. It was a very uh, insular uh, community for many, many years. And I'm hearing that it 
it broke out of that when LBJ became president and the Texas White House is just down the road here at Stonewall. And so with his, uh, with the interest in his uh, summer White House or Texas White House, uh, people would pop over to Fredericksburg. They had heard about this quaint little German town. And from there, the, the doors were burst open and people began then to start uh, moving here and starting businesses and buying property and, and so forth. So it became less of that pure German structure. So what we're going for now is to preserve the story prior to that happening and also back toward the founding because it's a great story of the um, settlement of the frontier of America, specifically the hill country of Texas, by the German culture. Of course, they settled in lots of other places, but there is a uniqueness about Fredericksburg. These people were farmers and ranchers and worked the earth and developed uh, innovations in windmills and water capture and it's always been a part of this uh, uh, of this community. But as you can imagine, as each year passes, uh, the uniqueness of the German flavor tends to get a little bit more blurry. So we see ourselves as the place that will always tell the story of the first 50 years and the last 50 years. And it's certainly a story you don't want to lose. Take us back a little bit to the German early days. Um, I think they came originally by ship to Galveston, then uh, mm -hmm. got on a smaller mm -hmm. vessel to go to Indianola, and then they came up the mm -hmm. Guadalupe River by wagon. Um, mm -hmm. And in later days, um, the stagecoach, I think Fredericksburg was on the stagecoach route. Um, oh. So why did the Germans um, end up in central Texas? Was it basically country similar to what they came from in, in Germany? Well, it turned out to be that, but that's not what the intent was originally. They were supposed to be going to a land grant that had been purchased by a couple of German entrepreneurs um, more to the north and the west of Fredericksburg. It so happened that at that time, it was inhabited by several tens of thousands of Comanches who were not um, open to the idea of giving up their traditional hunting lands and so forth. And uh, it was a very rugged area, more rugged than where we are now. And also it was considered to be too far from the coast uh, for commerce reasons and also too far from other population centers in Texas at the time. So a man named John Moisebach, who came from Germany to manage this uh, settlement project of the Germans, uh, had a very uh, good view and diploma, uh, diplomatic manner. And he went to negotiate with the Indians, but realized that that land grant up there was not going to serve what they thought uh, they were going to have with this bucolic German colony. And so the story goes, and I can't verify this, Chuck, but I've heard this, that he was on his way back to Nebronfels, where the German colony actually had taken hold before Fredericksburg. And he saw this valley, the Pertinalis Valley. Uh, Pernas River Valley, and he thought this would be a good place. It's a little closer in. It's closer to New Braunfels, closer to the coast, closer to population centers. So he arranged to buy 10,000 acres right on this spot, uh, sort of on the fly, and uh, then went back to New Braunfels and recruited 126 men, women, and children to continue their journey inland to this spot. They got here on May the 8th and began their community. Now, I know it makes it sound it makes it sound like, and then the rest is history. But there, of course, is a, a lot of story in between there about uh, early survival uh, requirements, and it was an iffy proposition for quite a while. 
the uh, turning point, I, as I understand it, the turning point was um, it was the stagecoach route, and it began to really uh, grow in the 1849 gold rush to California. And all of a sudden, Fredericksburg became not only a passageway to California, but became a major commerce place for people to stop and refresh themselves and buy goods and stay in hotels and buy grub and so forth. Uh, that was a real turning point, as I understand it, 1849. That's fascinating. Well, I've, I've had the chance to visit your museum a couple of times, and it's like stepping back in history, in one sense, after you get out of the main visitor entrance uh, and you actually walk mm -hmm. out among the buildings and into the houses mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. things. Um, and there's also, I think, a barber shop there where you, in the old That's days, right. uh, you could have taken a hot bath and, and have a shave. <laughs> Right. Uh, there's a smokehouse, I believe, uh, where um, yes. uh, meat was smoked um, probably in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. Take us to those, those early days, how people lived uh, in, in Fredericksburg uh, in, the, in the early years. Well, as I understand it, they were very community-minded. They obviously saw themselves as uh, a group who were going to survive or fail together. And so, and it was more common in the European culture in that day too, as it, more so than it was in the Western frontier in that day, to uh, work as a community rather than so self-reliant. So I think, I really do think that the culture they brought with them from Germany toward that end helped them to succeed. So they could, they did not have the means to succeed individually. So they, they would uh, plant corn in a community field and they, uh, alternated working the fields. Everybody had their time to go and do that, and their families. And then they all, of course, shared the uh, the produce and the product of their uh, agriculture. They began to plant their little gardens around their houses. So I imagine it was a pretty meager, hard scrabble life for those first few years. But the fact that they knew that they were either going to rise or fall together made the difference. They brought with them, of course, their Lutheran faith, as, as I understand it, and I'm wondering if, if there was some uh, drive to bring that to the new country and perhaps they were escaping from some persecution in the old country. I don't know. But... Yeah, the history of Europe in the 19th century, of course, is um, uh, intriguing is one word. Um, but, yeah, and, and the person who didn't have any nobility or uh, right to land they didn't have much of a future in those days. And also one of the things that uh, contributed to a lot of single men coming over was the conscription issue. They were required to serve in uh, military. And I, I don't know how many years, but it was, it was quite some time. And you know, they just didn't have self-determination and freedom. And they looked beyond the horizon to their future and didn't see much. It, it had to have been very motivating for them to go through what they did to get on the ships and come over here and, and then have to walk inland from the coast of Texas to New Braunfels, and then many walked the rest of the way here or rode ox carts and so forth. So, yeah, what I've read about the conditions of the people who decided, to, who opted to come to Texas in the mid-19th century from Germany, it, it makes you think that um, they were very brave, of course, but it was their, they saw it as their only opportunity to live in freedom. Well, tell us a little bit about how you manage uh, the museum in terms of uh, fitting in with the flow of visitors to, to Fredericksburg overall. Uh, I know there are certain events in Fredericksburg. There are wine tours. There's various other things going on. Uh, 
uh, how, do, how does the, the museum itself fit into that and your visitor numbers uh, ebb and flow with that uh, flow of visitors? We benefit from location because we are right on Main Street, which is the main highway through town and where a lot of the activity for visitors is. Um, we also are perceived as the repository of the founding story of Fredericksburg. You know, down at the other end of the street, we have the National Museum of the Pacific War uh, in honor of Charles Minutes, who was uh, born here. His family was here when he was born, and he lived here for a few years. Of course, he's the town hero as the commander of the Pacific War. Um, and then down the street further is the Texas Rangers Heritage Center, which is new to Fredericksburg. And Fort Martin Scott, the first uh, federal fort built in the frontier here in 1848 and, uh, and was here for five years until the frontier moved farther west. So we are becoming a place that cultural visitors would like to uh, partake of what we have. Our self-guided tour to these three and a half acres is $5 for adults and $3 for children and under six is free. So we want to keep it there to encourage families to come. But we benefit from uh, location. We benefit from being the place that is charged with telling the founding story and keeping the traditions and the cultures alive. So managing it actually is uh, is pretty easy. As I said earlier, it's a pretty easy sell because of Fredericksburg's uh, uh, reputation as a place of history and the fact that we are so visible to Main Street. We also uh, benefit uh, from being the Uptown Welcome Center. We are the visitor center. Our main opening to the museum is also the Welcome Center uh, Uptown, as we call it. And so we have a lot of people who come in, want to know a good place to eat, a good place to go, hang out, uh, what's the best winery, <laughs> which is also a tricky, uh, always a tricky answer. Um, and they'll come in, oh, it's a museum, it's $5, it takes about 45 minutes, uh, we'll just do that. So I, I'd love to say that it's because we're brilliant and we spend hours and hours with a strategic plan, and we do that, but we benefit from a lot of good work that people have done here for lots and lots of years. Yeah, certainly it fits into the fabric of uh, Fredericksburg. If uh, mm -hmm. if this was a car museum, uh, an old car museum, um, you know, that could be almost anywhere, and um, there's no particular logic for having it in Fredericksburg. Uh, and I've seen, you know, car museums uh, die because of lack of interest. Right. But uh, certainly you're, you're at the right place, uh, you're at the right time. Uh, Fredericksburg is a, is a tourist de destination. Uh, tell mm -hmm. us a little well bit said. about. Tell us a little bit about uh, uh, the financial side. Uh, you, you charge five dollars for adults and so on. Mm -hmm. I think you mm -hmm. also have um, a space that you rent out for groups uh, from time right. to time. Mm -hmm. Tell us some of your other mm -hmm. uh, revenue uh, sources. Well, we're nonprofit, of course, and um, so we benefit from uh, several revenue streams of unearned income, which is, of course, big fundraisers, donations. Um, we do have some memberships being around so long and being as important as the story is that we're protecting and preserving and telling. We do have a lot of local support. We also have some support from people who have lived here and grew up here or have relatives here or deep roots uh, with their families, and they continue to support us because they want to see the tradition stay alive and the story continue to be told. We have a wonderful volunteer um, organization that uh, serves us well. It keeps us, of course, from having to pay for some of the labor that we have with the three and a half acres and 11 historic buildings and lots going on. The rental facility you mentioned, we are now in the, in the um, process of renovating it. 
It's an old, it's the oldest Methodist church structure in the county, um, and it is on our campus happily. And we are turning that into a destination place for weddings, small family reunions, and that sort of thing. And the renovation process is a new catering kitchen and some modern restrooms that, of course, did not come with the building when it was built. So our revenue streams are going to be um, uh, admissions, uh, educational programs, facility rentals, some of the museum store uh, merchandise that we sell. And then, of course, we have this wonderful safety net of people who support us with a lot of donations and fundraising activities. As you look toward the future, the next five or ten years, uh, what what are your priorities in terms of planning and uh, upgrading of facilities or even uh, improving the visitor experience? The most important thing that I comes to mind is to reach out to families with children who are wanting to expose their children to a heritage education, at least to know some of the details of the history of where they live, where they go to school, where they're living their, uh, contributing their life. And I see a lot of young families now come through with children, especially in the summer, where they could be doing a lot of things in Fredericksburg, but they choose to bring them to the museum to expose them to uh, the history of the community just for the sake of it and to hopefully convince their children that um, what they find in the world, somebody else has set the pace for. And um, uh, it's always been that way that humans leave a legacy to the future generations. So we want to reach out more with educational programming, family programming, community events here on the grounds. Uh, we want them to come to the museum, of course, but we want them to see the museum as a place to gather as well and that the children have good times when they come. So that's our largest strategic plan over the next five years, reaching out to families with children and schools. Let me ask you about um, other historic buildings that are not on your campus that um, might be deteriorating out in rural areas. Uh, Do you see a need to open up another location uh, and bring some of the other additional heritage uh, assets that that could be preserved uh, under some management uh, of the historical society like like your current campus? Well, one of the things that comes to mind is the country school. I forgot now the number that were in Gillespie County uh, at the peak um, but there is a country schools organization here in Fredericksburg, as there is a national organization. In fact, we're hosting the national conference here this summer. They work hard to try to restore these one building schools out in the county. Those are the things that's what comes quickly to mind. So they're already an organization and we collaborate with them and help them as much possible as much as possible. I guess the story is like everything. We are limited in resources and limited in people, and um, we have to take care of what's right in front of us and then hope that through our example and through the encouragement that we would offer uh, verbally and otherwise, that other people in the county might begin to take on some of those projects themselves, either organizationally or individually whether it's the landowner or somebody who can convince them that this is too precious of a commodity to lose. Uh, as all nonprofit organizations, you would know that we, um, our reach is limited because of resources, but we are always open to collaborating, partnering, offering 
any kind of expertise we have, and even uh, if we have, if we can help with resources. Uh, the the county, Gillespie County, is very good at looking at what it needs to preserve and taking action. Speaking of other uh, organizations that are doing things along the same line, um, I know there are other museums in uh, New Braunfels and uh, other German towns along the the Guadalupe River, for instance, uh, and mm-hmm. and uh, onto the east of you toward toward the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Is there sort of a tour that can be done uh, or that's that's been promoted that, that visitors to your museum can also partake at some of the other locations? I'm not aware of any official tour uh, structure, but I think it's a great idea. We do tell people to be sure to, if they can, to go to the New Braunfels uh, Sofienberg uh, Museum because we do have a direct connection that people here all stopped at New Braunfels before coming here. Um, so there's a deep connection to German immigration at that time to New Braunfels. I know that there are other German communities all along that, as you say, the Guadalupe River uh, area to the coast and, and up into Seguin and, and uh, Nassau and so forth. But we don't, I don't know of any official tour. Uh, I think the traveler is sort of left to their own devices to make that up for themselves. But I'll take your question as a good idea to look into. <laughs> it's just that the wine tours uh, come to mind, uh, which is a, another attraction of, of Fredericksburg and, and the surrounding area. Uh, so mm-hmm. a tour of museums might might be uh, another another way to go. Well, we are working on the uh, partnering with our fellow muse- museums here in Gillespie County, and particularly Fredericksburg. Sure. As I said, the Main Street is pretty much the museum row as well as being a great place for shopping and eating and art galleries. And then the wine tours, of course, are on the same highway but farther out toward Austin. So we've, we've got a lot going on here, and the museums are looking to partnership, uh, form a partnership to have people who come specifically for a museum tour to Fredericksburg. Well, uh, where can people go to find more information about uh, your museum and, and perhaps uh, plan a visit? We have a website, like everybody does, and it's www.pioneermuseum.net, and there they will find um, a description of the museum, information about what's around us, parking, stroller-friendly trails, uh, etc., also calendar calendar of events. Uh, so we welcome them to uh, look at our website. Uh, we do have a Facebook page as well. It's uh, Gillespie County Historical Society or Pioneer Museum Fredericksburg. Um, we try to maintain a good presence online for people who are hither and yon and want to learn about us. But the best way is, I would say, the website at pioneermuseum.net. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Gerald. It's been a pleasure. And uh, best, of luck, my pleasure. Uh, best of luck with your uh, Pioneer Museum. Well, thank you for spending time with me today. It's been a pleasure. Well, that about wraps it up for today's episode. Join us again next week when we'll be continuing to explore organizations and their performance. Goodbye for now.